0: hello and welcome to another episode of sip conscious a podcast made by two friends over two drinks discussing two different topics thanks again for joining our journey of inquisition and we hope that you enjoy this banter-filled knowledge quench quench yeah.
1: <laughs> we'll that. <laughs> we, could, we, we, we could keep that in we just this this is our intro this is, <laughs> okay. Okay. welcome back to the fourth episode <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, yeah, my name is Joseph and I'm joined by my co-host Colin and we're 2 longtime friends currently living on opposite ends of the world, sharing our catch-ups in the most millennial
1: slash Gen Z way possible. Yes. Um. Anyways, let's start off with the drinks review. What have you got this week? You said this time it's not a tea or any, like, it's not tea or water. Yeah. Something different, yeah? Yeah. So
0: I'm having a nice homemade cappuccino. Oh, and the coffee beans. Yeah, it's by a brand called Republica. Um, Okay. It's fair trade, has it on the label. Ah. Yeah, and it's a medium roast. But yeah, it's a nice,
1: it's a nice cappuccino. I'm enjoying it. (laughs) What are the, what 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 are the uh, qualities of this cappuccino that you made? Um, Where's it from, actually? Like the coffee beans. Yeah, can I, can I guess?
0: Uh, <laughs> I didn't do enough research. But yes, guess while I frantically search the porch itself. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm just guessing. Is he, I, 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 see, I see a lot that's like, oh, Costa Rica or... Um,
0: um, so I'm just going to read their little description on their website. This gourmet oh, yeah? blend Free plug. ground at high altitude on mountain slopes comes from faraway places like Colombia.
1: Oh, so it's like a mix of places.
0: And what are you drinking?
1: I've got a... I don't know what you call this, but it's like, you know like cordial? But it's orange, so it's like a concentrate. Mm. I don't know if orange cordial is a thing, but it's like an orange concentrate and you just add water to it and you get like orange-flavoured juice beverage thing.
0: Also, it's like Ribena, but orange
1: yes exactly okay, yeah yeah got it yeah but but i wouldn't call it like cordial it's not it's nothing fancy it's just like one of these cheap one liter concentrate you can get from a supermarket right and why not it's more interesting than water <laughs> <laughs> <Fair enough. laughs> it's uh it's very orangey mm-hmm. almost like two is it you know like what's that thing where it's like Uh, with, like, CGI, where it's, like, so real that it's uncanny... The uncanny valley, I think. It's... Imagine that, but for orange, where it's, like, so orange it doesn't feel real anymore. But, um... Hey. As I said, it's more fun than water. (laughs) (laughs) And we're back. All right. Um... I was thinking to decide who goes first, I feel like we should just kind of scale like put our topic on a scale of like 1 to 5 and of like how exciting it is. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Because not going to lie, I feel like my topic is really interesting, but it's mm-hmm. probably it probably doesn't sound exciting. <laughs> so Right. I don't know about yours though. Wait, so hmm.
0: Who goes first? The one that sounds more exciting or the one that doesn't yeah, sound more exciting? The
1: one that'll hook the hook the hook the listener in. Let, let, let's, go with, let's go with you first. <laughs> oh, okay.
0: So, okay. So my topic this week is about boomers.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: Um, yeah, which is um Controversial. No. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, I'm not here to incite any generational <laughs> divides or gaps.
1: <laughs> just okay. to that very clearly. Um, yeah.
0: But yeah, um, I stumbled upon a video in this like quarantine state. I've, been, I've just been watching a lot of like TED Talks and like a lot of talks in the Royal Institute um, in the UK. And I happened upon this video called Have the Boomers Pinch Their ch- Children's Futures. And, yeah, I thought it was actually really interesting. It was a 40-minute presentation. And oh, my I managed, Lord. I managed to, like, sit through the entire thing just, like, fully engaged. Because, yeah, I think there's a lot of memes about boomers and, like, how, like, oh, how us millennials or, like, young people are, like, struggling. Um, and, like, mm-hmm. boomers just don't get it. And, yeah, like, you know, memes kind of come from some place of truth, right? Like, I think a lot of people are kind of disillusioned by politics or like um yeah, yeah. you know like e- economics like but yeah i didn't want to be very disillusioned i didn't want my political opinions to be swayed by memes
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> That's probably... so
0: it's by um a conservative politician in the uk um his name is lord david willett he is currently president of the resolution foundation um which is like a think tank um, and they focus on like living standards, so the man has a lot of experience in policy, and like how it affects like people. So, you know, I thought I'd get my source from someone with authority and actual experience and knowledge about this stuff. Yeah. So I'm gonna try my best to give like a good explanation of this talk, but. Ah. Um, uh- all of, all of I, our explanations are probably terrible, anyways. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, oh, yeah, I thought I'd give a like nice little shout out for our like two viewers. If you want to watch this forty-minute presentation, it will be linked in oh. <laughs> the show notes. So he's technically a boomer himself. Um, Boomers uh, is basically this like name for a just a generation. Um, of people born after world war ii and they're called baby boomers because um, there was a large increase in children being born during that time yep Um, and so like the middle of that period is around like the 1950s yeah so basically they are going into like their 70s 80s now but yeah like generations are kind of hard to define because like where do you set the cutoff right and yeah um, so he wanted to look at kind of like intergenerational equity of like um economic power or like voting power or uh just studying like different factors about all these demographics and you know how like if there are any patterns that we can see and yeah like he uh, makes apparent that boomers have a lot going for them in our current economy and oh i should probably preface this by saying that uh, all of this like all of these stats um are very much UK based so I can't speak for any other countries about Mm. the conclusions that he makes the major thing that he talks about is that because you know it's literally in their name baby boomers um they are just a very massive cohort and so there's a lot of benefits that come from being a large cohort in terms of like a generation um Mm. because as you know like birth rates steadily declined after that therefore the cohorts shrink over time so the amount of millennials isn't as much as the amount of boomers and so some of the consequences of that is that they have a lot more spending power so because there's so many of them um and they tend to spend money on the same things so they Uh have a lot of spending power and like you know they will shape markets so like obviously you want to cater to people who have the money <laughs> he gave a really funny example of like that's why the rolling stones can still have concerts right now <laughs> <laughs> um because i don't know anyone in our generation who's li- still listening to the rolling stones but
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> not, not <laughs> not clearly sure there's happens,
0: a demand yeah. for it right yeah um yeah and also because there's so many of them um they have a lot of votes they have a lot of voting power and so it's like a ratio of, like, five to four in the UK of, like, uh, boomers versus, like, millennials. And, yeah, so, like, that's just kind of the facts of it. But, like, what else is clearly indicative of, like, their advantage? Uh, So pay has steadily increased. Like, pay has always increased historically. Um, Mm -hmm. But that pattern stops after people born... Uh, in 1986 so when he was comparing like wage levels of of people who were born in like five-year periods he showed a statistic where people born after 1986 don't earn as much pay as the years before um, and okay. that's adjusted for inflation and so um, some of the reasons he gives for why pay has not increased for younger people is because younger people aren't moving around as much so they're not moving houses um they're not moving jobs and this this can be like geographically as well so like if a job that's better paying is like in a different county or in like a different state or whatever like um, yeah you're not as likely to move there because you just don't have the assets to begin with to make that transition so like, what's kind of fueled that is like, you know, rent has increased for younger people, um, and so you know they have to spend more of their income on rent, and then if their jobs aren't paying as much, then you know they're not likely to save as much, and then they are they just aren't as likely to own a home now because more of their wealth is being diverted to just rent and being able to sustain themselves and Uh that also leads to them being more dependent on their parents for longer i don't know if this is apparent to you but for me at least um it's very apparent to me that like i'm going to be living with my parents for a longer time
1: Um, oh yeah definitely yeah like even if we didn't want to i feel like it seems like it's a trend just like things i think yeah it's like the rent in general like seems to be where majority of where i feel like my first few income like paychecks are gonna be going to. Mm. So I might. might as well just like be with my parents, save up for a bit, that type of thing. Yeah,
0: exactly. So you're like limited to movement as well. Like if you mm-hmm. are limited to staying with your parents, then you can only get jobs in that area. And yeah, and so like, you know, there's a lot of myths and it's like there's stereotypes back and forth, you know, like I think um, there's a lot of okay boomer memes, but like it also, there's, you know, it also happens the other way around where like, um, I guess older generations will think like, oh, look at these young people. Like they like spend, like we were so rich because like we, we were responsible and we saved our money and these young people are spending it on like avocado toast or like, <laughs> <laughs> um, or like, you know, hipster coffee and <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know, that's Um, Obviously a myth because younger generations actually have less income to spend in consumption because all of their wealth is going into paying rent or paying for, you know, essential items. It's just a bit of a vicious cycle. And another thing is that the the younger generations, we have to be a lot more conscious about climate change because, um, (laughs) uh, yeah, like we have to reduce our carbon emissions and a lot of like just productivity that you could have, like a lot of jobs that you could have done before, like you just can't now without destroying yeah. the environment even more. And so, yeah, overall, like the younger generations just have less wealth. And okay. another factor of that is housing. Like housing prices have just skyrocketed recently. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, and you can see that like all over the world. Uh, and the thing is, like, if you're already in the housing market, if you already own a home, that's great for you. Because if these prices increase, your wealth increases. Mm-hmm. But if you're, yeah. say, younger and you're just starting to get a foothold for yourself, if your job doesn't pay well, you don't have enough savings to spend on a home. Um, and if the prices are increasing, it gets harder to buy into that. Um yeah, like if the prices are high, like <laughs> you just can't buy into it. If your pay is low as well, it's just double whammy. <laughs> yeah. And another thing, um, and this is, I think, unique to the UK because because of their pension system. But pension contributions are different between people who are born in the boomer generation and people born afterwards um, because they have this system called defined benefits, which okay. um, basically means that their pensions are based on the wages that they that they made during their um, working life so it's like a fixed amount um, based on how much they made before whereas um a lot of the pension schemes for us um in our in for younger generations is called defined contribution so i know here in australia um yeah for like my retirement plan and everything um like a part of a portion of my wages if i worked gets put into uh, a super, a superannuation fund. And that's basically like a pot of money um, that gets like invested into the stock market and it will rise based on like market rates. So as long as the economy grows, then like that money grows as well. But that's like a fixed amount, oh sorry, so so that's like not a fixed amount based on the wages that you made. Like that is completely dependent on whether or not the economy does well, right? And another thing that causes a big imbalance with that system is that with the defined benefits pension format, if you live longer, the value of that scheme is worth more. (laughs) Yeah. And because like, obviously, yeah, healthcare technology has obviously improved a lot. Like people are living much longer. Like, yeah, like you, you'll easily see people who are in their nineties and like that's not a bad thing like that's just a fact and basically they've got this advantage in the the way that their pensions are paid out in the uk um
1: yeah uh
0: and the last thing this is what like really interested me which was that like taxes and public policy is shaped in a way that benefits them without even us noticing because it's just like kind of accepted as fact you know there's so many policies that you see uh, that we just kind of accept as just really normal, like things like you know, like if you went to like a public gallery or something like um if you're of pension age, like if you're like sixty five and older or something, then you know you don't have to pay an entrance fee or you know you get concession on on public transport, right like all of these things that yeah, like yeah. none of us would bat an eye to because you know like we just kind of oh, accept, just you know, deemed that, that's normal the right, yeah, yeah, that's the right thing to do, right like if you're older, like um. Well, the thing is, like, a lot of these policies were originally rooted in the fact that, like, pensioners are likely to be poorer than working-age people. Yeah. Um, but recently... I don't know about the fact now. with like... Yeah. Yeah. So now, like, it's actually the opposite. Like, pension-age people now are actually wealthier than working-age people in terms of, like, the amount of income that they receive if you factor in after living costs so like after okay. you know you've spent all your money sustaining sustaining yourself like the leftover income like pensioners get more than like on average they get more than people who are in working age uh, it's not to say that these policies are bad or anything it's just like young people younger people don't benefit from that like if you're of working age um, yeah you just don't benefit from it because it's assumed that you hold more responsibility for society if that makes
1: sense, right oh yeah voice crack sorry <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah um but yeah so the thing is like if you look at the pattern of like how how countries are spending um on how are spending their money on like public services and welfare and all of that like these things are going to increase like health healthcare um costs are going to increase and social security is going to increase so like things like pensions and welfare but education has always like kind of plateaued, like always been like a similar amount. And yeah, like younger people are less likely to get sick. So they're less likely to benefit from like a free healthcare system. system. Like, right. Yeah. Not that, that that's a bad thing. It's just that, you know, like, um, yeah, like the direct effects that you get just aren't a lot less. They aren't as much. Before, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, you don't receive like pensions until you're like of pension age. Right yeah um so like the taxes that inevitably have to increase to like sustain these systems they disproportionately affect working aged people um because we don't immediately benefit from that yeah (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Um, and yeah like these are all just like really factual stuff that i thought was really interesting and it's just like um like none of this is to say like Oh, like, all people are to blame for this or whatever. It's yeah, just like, it's not, it's it's not like, how
1: dare they? It's just, like, the way, like, post-war economies have worked because it was kind of needed to build the current state of industries. Yeah, exactly. Like the market, yeah.
0: Yeah, and this isn't to, like, put blame on any generation. It's just, like, an analysis of, like, how we got to this point and, like like, how much, like, economic policies... That are made by governments like shape like the lives of um the people living in those countries and i thought it was really interesting um i, I probably i probably didn't put it as eloquently as he did so <laughs> i really recommend checking out the presentation and the youtube video um but yeah that's what i learned this week and i thought it was
1: really interesting let me ask you a question yeah mm-hmm. When I tell you the country of Spain, yeah, what religion do you think of? Oh, for some reason the
0: first one that I think of is Catholicism, but I don't really know why.
1: <laughs> okay, yeah, no, no. So, it's like, in generally, like Christian, yeah, faith, yeah. Did you know that for about eight hundred years, from around seven eleven? 7-Eleven, like a shop, (laughs) like uh, early 8th century to um, late 15th century, Mm -hmm. it was actually ruled by Muslims or like a massive part of it was Islamic. Oh, interesting. And that's going to be my topic for today because... That's what I kind of studied for, uh, for my exam. It was on Islamic art and architecture. Oh, cool. And just thought, I mean, there are other countries that we kind of, other things we looked at, but I just thought this was kind of like a little special thing that I remember at the lecture where I was just like, what? Mm. I had no clue. Yeah. Have your messenger ready because I'm about to send some images. <laughs> yeah. But the basic, I guess, historical context is that during, at 7-11, a, a Muslim forces invaded an area called the iberian peninsula or iberian peninsula and that's just mainly uh you know the mediterranean sea or like right above north africa and right Mm -hmm. under let's just say italy the coast of southern france yeah and whatnot Mm -hmm. so at the coast of let's say portugal france a bit of france and mainly spain and portugal that's the iberian peninsula okay so muslim forces came from north africa And even from Yemen to Iran, 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 Mm -hmm. Iran. And um, they were called the Umayyad and specifically the Umayyad Caliphate. And Mm -hmm. I'll explain what Caliphate means in a bit. Um, But Umayyads are just a, a, well, like a Muslim group. It's like a specific type of, like, I'm not going to lie. Not too sure if it's like, I could call it like ethnicity, but like, you know, just a, just imagine like, a particular Muslim group called the Umayyads. And um, from early 8th century to late 15th century, it's very important to know that the Umayyads uh, didn't rule Spain uh, or or the Iberian Peninsula the entire time. It was like a succession of different rules and different, uh, I guess, emperors, if you will. Mm -hmm. Before I kind of get to some other parts, um, when I said caliphate, caliphate is a form of state that's ruled under the caliph, So Caliph Caliphate and what Caliph refers to is like in a particular uh, Muslim tradition, it refers to the, well, it literally means successor and specifically to Muhammad. And it's mainly to kind of like, it's a title that a religious ruler holds over the entire Muslim world, or let's just say their Caliph Caliphate. So the Caliph rules the Caliphate. And similarly, there's another title called the sultan which literally means power and it uh, i guess the title is bestowed to a secular ruler non-religious usually that has an like haven't has an emphasis on their power over the military and secular ruling like just like their government and they would rule over the sultanate which is again another form of state it's just like you know like the ottoman empire like if let's say it was a caliph who ruled it? It would be a the area of the entire Ottoman Empire would be the Caliphate. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is, there's another title called Emir. So E-M-I-R. and it originally refers to a military commander. Mm-hmm. And you know how I said a Caliph, Caliphate, Sultan, Sultanate, and what would an Emir be? What would the be the state or the area that they rule over be? Emir. Um, emirate <laughs> I don't know. yeah emirate oh oh like oh, united oh, oh. Arab of emirates yeah <laughs> yeah yeah. okay that just yeah so <laughs> yeah so that's the most i guess modern example of what you know the muslim ruling system i mean it's very complex and i'm definitely reducing it but yeah there you yep. go it's a net uh, that the uae is an emirate and it's ruled by the emir who is a military commander so it's like mm. kind of equivalent to prime minister if you will right Anyways, going back to Spain's Islam, I guess, background. It was originally before the the Islam forces came in. It was originally, like, these Germanic people called Visigoths. Um, But when they were ruling, there was a multicultural mix of people that kind of interacted within the same spaces, specifically Muslim, Christians, and Jews. Um, I mean, this sounds very, you know, pretty normal nowadays, you know, thanks to globalization, travel, and the whole notion of, like, you know, standardized religious freedom and you know ethics and whatnot back then very different it was let's just say unique to certain areas around the world you wouldn't go to china and see a lively let's just say um mix of three very different monotheistic religions yeah yeah but other examples of like this type of phenomenon happening would be cairo and jerusalem are big ones but um Some other cities that are, you know, obviously Europe, uh, but also had that form of background would be uh, Venice and Athens. And I can only imagine other parts of the Mediterranean and perhaps Eastern Europe. So with that, you know, uh, context, this brings me to their architecture, which is insane. I've just sent you the Mosque of Cordoba, which is a city in Spain. Yeah, and when lot. the um, Muslim forces came in, that was their ca- that that became their capital. And the interesting yeah. thing is that is that um, they have basically taken what was a Christian holy ground mm-hmm. and reappropriated, destroyed it, but still established their main mosque on 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 that holy ground. And right. that is very similar to the next picture I just sent you, um, the Mosque of Damascus which most people are saying have um, the design or architecture of it has been kind of been based off or been inspired by the mosque of Damascus. So you have Mm. Spain and then Damascus very far away. And there are many things where I guess they share similarities in. I just sent you another one. It's uh, this glass mosaic that you see, like the design. It's Mm -hmm. more of a Christian slash Byzantine, which is like Eastern Roman, where they uh, it's it's their design which um they originally had in the mosque of Damascus but they've used over in the mosque of Cordoba. Yep. If you look at some of the plaques outside of the museum in that image, you could see you 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 see those like you see the hexagon, yeah, and you yeah. see some Arabic calligraphy. Yeah. But if you look at the one that's vertical and right above it, you can also see a cross. Yeah, like the Christian cross. Yeah. And the ones next to it. So you get these mix of iconography within the same, I guess, you know, in a mosque, which is quite different compared to, you know, let's just say the mosque you'll find in most places nowadays. Mm. There's another mosque where this is towards the end of the uh, Muslim rule, where a city ruled by the Muslim forces had fell. And basically the mosque got turned into a chapel, but they maintained the exterior design, but added a nave and an asp, asp, asp aps aps yeah where the apse is like the cylind- like the cylindrical dome-ish structure at the end of the church or chapel mm. where usually the altar is under and in one of the photos you could see like christian frescoes on the ceiling on the round dome but right under that it's resting on like horseshoe arches yeah which is very more typical of like islamic design you mm. also get this mix which is I guess pretty cool but um i guess the most significant example not I mean, not significant but just like a, a cool one would be this is the last one it is a royal palace built by king Pedro the cruel in like the 14th century in sevilla mm-hmm. and but the thing is by this time sevilla was like 80 years into the christian rule so the most like in this city the muslims have already been defeated and this is a christian king but if you look at their architecture the the one i just sent you um that's the that's one that's one of the entrances to like a particular part of the uh building but it's heavily influenced by a particular building in the middle east and if you look at the close-up um what do you see at the top row like you mean like the
0: arches or like
1: yeah so yeah like like right under that roof tile thing you get these like honeycombish, archy but like they're kind of like recessed and like they're very yeah. 3d like let's just say yes. so yeah that's a very very like distinct muslim quote-unquote but it's more particular to a certain type of let's just say people and time mm-hmm. but um yeah it's very it, this this ornamentation is very much non-christian basically mm-hmm. Okay. Um. And I guess the tiling underneath that, you see the blue lines and also mm-hmm. like how the blue lines are kind of surrounded by a band of like seemingly Latin or English letters mm-hmm. and characters. So those are actually inscriptions in Arabic and Castilian, who King Pedro specifically asked for having both languages, symbolizing mm-hmm. kind of his rule over his subjects, both Christian and Muslim. Right. Notice that I didn't say Jewish because I actually have no clue what the Jewish population at this point in time in Spain is like, but I yep. guess that's something I have to find out. Mm. And the whole design of this castle is basically designed by someone in Granada, which is another part of Spain, which at the same time was still in Islam or Muslim rule. And basically the sultan there, the I guess the ruling guy, who is non-secular and mainly military-based that I mentioned earlier, um, had sent their own craftsmen to design and build this place, like, in collaboration with this King Pedro. Mm-hmm. The last, I guess, photo I will send you is the outside of this place, which looks, to most people, and to be, well, you know, it's mainly... It just looks like a castle, doesn't it? It doesn't scream Islamic. So, yeah. and, then, and But in, on the inside you see all these mixed influences mm. so yeah I I learned this two months ago but like just reviewing it I'm like that's actually pretty insane and just I mean like my knowledge of Europe to be honest is not or history in general <laughs> mm. is not uh, great but um, to know it just kind of like I don't know through my mind in terms of like the history of Europe and yeah. Islam because I did not know I would have not guessed ever, to be honest. Yeah, and on the other hand, it just looks—it just looks incredibly beautiful. Also, yeah. but yeah, yeah that's that. That's it for me. All right, everyone's favorite section. Fact time. Nice. What have, what have you got for me this
0: week? Today I bring you a fact. In the country that I currently live in, Uh which is Australia. Did you know that Australia is home to 21 of the world's 25 most venomous snakes? What? Just another fact um, that everything in Australia is trying to kill you. (laughs) I'm not even going to try and work out the percentage, but that's insane. Yeah, well, to be fair, like, it just means that like a lot of the most venomous snakes are here yeah but that says nothing about their population
1: right but just like like, imagine the natural selection or like the process of which like nature just went this place is so dangerous because there's so many other predators that we need to become more venomous (laughs) yeah and collectively on this like island we just yep 21 of us yeah (laughs) It's funny, too, like
0: just there's something about animals in the southern hemisphere, and especially in Australia that like just don't make sense if you compare it to like animals in the northern hemisphere, or yeah, just evolution's a wild thing, man,
1: yeah oh. well, visit Australia, but don't visit the snakes <laughs> yeah don't don't visit the snakes <laughs> twenty one out of twenty five snakes that you'll probably see. I know that statistically doesn't make any sense but just roll with it but like you know they're dangerous <laughs> yeah anyways it's been great catching up Shell. see you probably in two weeks because i think you're going to exam next week
0: yeah uh yeah all right Cool. good night to you uh sure <laughs> <laughs>